following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. It's time to blow the trumpet in Zion. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel with Pastor Ray Greenlee. Today's sermon is pre-recorded. Mighty God, I don't want to feast from the dark side. I don't want to be nurtured from the dark side. Lord, I want to walk in your light and your glory. I ask, would you bring this fellowship now into your presence, O oh God, and touch us, change us, in the name of Jesus. Amen. The Lord spoke to King Saul and gave him very specific orders. In the 15th chapter of 1 Samuel, the Lord said to him in verse 2, I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go, attack the Amalekites, and totally destroy everything that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. This was what was known in Scripture as harem. Utter, complete destruction. It was over for the Amalekite. Saul mustered the men, 200 and some thousand of them, and they marched with all of their supply lines, with all of the weapons in place, they headed to take out the Amalekites. Verse 9, But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the cattle, the fat calves and the lambs. Everything that was good these they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. I am grieved, said the Lord, that I've made Saul king, because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was troubled, and he cried out to the Lord all that night. We need to begin to understand that God is watching. He sees everything that we do and everything that we don't do. The Lord, the God of heaven, is present. It doesn't matter that we don't hear him speak, perhaps. The lack of our perception does not mean God is not watching. 
The fact that we cannot perceive God does not mean that there will not be consequences for our actions. And so Saul believed that he could go carry out part of what God's commands were, but use his best wisdom. So now he decided these cattle are too valuable to destroy. And obviously, I need a trophy from my campaign. Let's keep Agag alive. All night, Samuel cries out to the Lord. And finally, early in the morning, he knows he has to go address Saul. Saul has gone up to Carmel, and there he has set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone down to Gilgal. I can see what happened now. The men are all gung-ho. They've engaged in warfare. They have successfully killed all of these Amalekites. They have taken the sheep and the and the goats, and the lambs, and the camels, and they're saying, look at what we did. High-fiving each other. Yes, we took them out. Yes, aren't we awesome? We're the warriors. We can do it. Look at what we've done. We've destroyed these people, and all of their plunder is now ours. Build an altar honor of himself set up a monument stone in honor of his own great prowess as a warrior. So now Samuel comes and Saul says to him in verse 13, The Lord bless you. I've carried out the Lord's instructions. Samuel replies, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle? You say you have obeyed the word of the Lord. Then what's this I hear? I should not be hearing cattle. They should be dead. Saul answers, The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and the cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But we totally destroyed the rest. Samuel says, stop. Let me tell you what the Lord told me last night. And Saul says, yeah, tell me. Yeah, tell me. What did God say last night? Saul didn't get this way overnight. This was a long process. Let me try to please describe something for you all. Here is Ray Greenlee's world. Circle right around me. This is my space. I used to do this in conferences. I used to have someone stand and say to another person, would you walk up to that person? And you walk up to them until they say stop. And then have another person walk this way until they say stop. And another one walk this way until they say stop. Well, some people's space is larger than other people's space. Some people, when you get from 
steer about six feet out, they say, stop, don't come any closer. That's my space. Some people will walk up two feet. Now that's a little close, back up a little. Now you can quickly identify this by watching how people stand with you when they talk with you. Some people come right up on you, and they're talking like this. Mm -hmm. And I'm backpedaling. I'm saying, hey, 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 that's a little too close for me. I smell your breath. That is defining my space. Now, in my space, thank you very much, I rule. I do what I desire in my space. Saul had his space, and he did what he desired in his space. We have our space. And we think that within that space, we can act however we desire to act. And if people don't like how we're acting in our space, too bad. I'm going to act the way I want to act in my space. This is how Saul was acting for years. He was the warrior king of Israel. He was the first king of Israel. And he said, I'm the man. Now, let me get very specific with this. Because I operate in my space, I brush my teeth in my space. I eat in my space. I live in my space. This is my space. And so when I come into the house of the Lord, in my space, I meander. Hey, I'm somebody. <laughs> hey, that's my space. I can do that in my space. Or somebody comes and they're in the presence of the Lord. We're praying, we're in the sanctuary. We're before the Lord. But do they bow their head in their space and quietly wait before the Lord, listening for the Lord to speak, attentive? No. It's their space, and so they have the right to go. My space. I don't have to be reverent in my space. It's my space. I do what I want in my space. Don't mess with me. You see, I recognize we're in God's space. And he rules. You see, this false illusion that in my space, I can bebop through life, has to change. I come into God's place. And have the arrogance of heart to think that I can set up a monument in my own honor because I'm the man or I'm the woman. This was King Saul's lifestyle. So when he took the word of God, he said, I have the right to change the word of God and I will spare the best of the cattle. That was his human wisdom, and he felt he had the right 
to change God's word to match what he thought he wanted for himself. He saw that by changing God's command, he could make a political deal with his soldiers. Why do the soldiers want to go and fight a war and not have any reward, not share in the spoils? The pay of the soldier came from the booty that was captured. So why would he want to have his commanders unhappy, saying, why did we go and risk our lives and not get paid anything? No, that's how God does it. Makes you do hard things and then doesn't pay you anything for it. It's not how God works. That's how Baal works. So Saul now is in a hard confrontation. And he has to begin to backpedal and say, it wasn't me that did this, it was the soldiers who did this. As soon as your space is invaded, the human reaction is to either get angry or to make an excuse. What I want you to get a hold of today is that this imaginary circle of space around me that I think allows me to act in any way I want to act, say anything I want to say, every smart reply, that lets me rebel in any way I want to rebel, is utterly and totally a false illusion. The God of heaven reigns. He rules over heaven and over earth. And we are subject unto the everlasting Lord of Lords and King of Kings. He rules. He says to, to Samuel in verse 20, but I did obey the Lord. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me and I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag their king. Wait a minute. How can you completely destroy the Amalekites and bring back their king? Isn't that an oxymoron? So now he, he lies to himself. And I want you to see this, that this drawing of this circle around myself that says, I'm going to be like I choose to be, lying. And it's met with firm response on the part of God. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God. Now, I'm only, I'm only acting like this because this is for my good and your good, and this is for the kingdom of God. Listen to Samuel's reply. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? Does the Lord delight in the rituals of worship as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. To heed is better than the fat of ram. But now listen. For rebellion is like the sin of divination. 
Divination is the mechanical process of reaching into the spirit realm to manipulate it, to get it to do what I want it. He's saying that rebellion is reaching into the spiritual realm to do what I want to do. It's saying this circle has been drawn around me and I am God. And I will do what I want to do. When I come into this sanctuary, if I want to sit down, I'm going to sit down, Pastor, and tough. I'm not going to stand and praise the Lord in this house. That's rebellion. That's divination. That's reaching into the spirit realm and declaring that I'm the man and I'll do here what I want to do. It's going home and saying at home, Mom and Dad, husband, wife, look, this is my space. I'm going to do what I want. And if you don't let me, a war is going to start between us. I'm going to go to war with you, Mom. I'm going to go to war with you, Dad. I'm going to go to war with you, wife or husband. I'm going to make your life so miserable, you're going to have to do what I want to do. I'm God here. This is rebellion. And arrogance like the evil of idolatry. I've had to really be careful. And of late, I've been very conscious of it. Even how I walk. That I not walk with arrogance before God. You see, you notice as I walk, do you see what goes with me? My space. My space goes with me wherever I go. So if my space is coming along and you're in my space, please shove over. You're in my space. That's the vibe we throw out. It's been something we've enjoyed laughing about, but in our kitchen, it's my job to come in and do the juice in the morning because we do fruit juice for breakfast. And, and Jan, it's her job to get the eggs boiled and shelled because we also eat with the fruit juice and protein a hard-boiled egg. Well, Jan will come and put what she's working on right in the place where I have to put the things I wash up. So how am I going to get her straightened out and realize that she should not be in my space? I have a job to do. And she doesn't have a right to slow me down in my job. Because if I don't have my job done by the time she has her job done, then I'm slow. And I'm not slow, guys. I'm the race. So, Jan, shove over and don't invade my space. And my my space is a moving target. Look, there's only room in this kitchen for me. So stay out until I have it ready. Stay out of my space. 
and I define my spaces wherever I go. You don't do this, do you? <laughs> See, this is, this is Saul, arrogance like the evil of idolatry. So that I have my space and you stay out of my space or I'm going to... Why don't you just do it all, Jan? I've got work upstairs in the prayer closet. You know, I work for God. I, I have some important things to do upstairs. You know, I need to read the Bible. I need to be spiritual. So, Jan, why don't you just go ahead and do the juice this morning? There's no space for me. You ever done it? Am I in some of your space? You see, this arrogance begins to cause us to make the compromises we think necessary to achieve our own ends. Because obviously, everything in this world was created to help me achieve my best good. I mean, the reason you're here is to make me look good. The reason you love me is because I deserve to be loved. I'm that kind of person. Oh, this is just utter, arrogant foolishness. Saul said to Samuel, I've sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid. The big tough warrior king, who was the man about town who was setting up monuments to his own glory, I gave in to the people. Now I beg you. Oh, does he know how? and smooth. Forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to him, I will not go back with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. And Samuel turns and he's leaving. Saul reaches out and grabs a hold of him to stop him and the robe tears. Samuel says to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to one of your neighbors, to one who is better than you. Oh, there's nothing that pierces my space so much as to be finally confronted and realize that I'm not somebody. That I don't have a right to shove others around. Humble my heart. Saul replies, I have sinned, but please honor me. I have sinned. Okay, you're right. You're right. I messed up. I sinned. I'm sorry. Now would you honor me? 
you got to make me look good in front of the people. You got to save my dignity. Come back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. Not his God, Samuel's God. So Samuel went back with Saul, and Saul worshiped the Lord. There are two kinds of worship. There is empty human worship, where you go through the rituals, but you bring into that worship your space. You bring into it your rights. You bring into it your understandings. You bring into it your demands. You bring into it your expectation. That's empty human worship. But then, verse 32, Samuel said, Bring me Agag, king of the Amalekites. Agag came to him confidently, thinking, Surely the bitterness of death is past. Samuel put Agag to death before the Lord at Gilgal. Now you've got holy worship. Holy worship is under the direction and the power of the Holy Spirit, where I have surrendered my space to the Lord God of heaven, and I have asked him to invade my space, and I have said to him, I will do what you've asked me to do. Romans, the eighth chapter. I'll begin with verse 6. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. So when I define my space and I walk through life with an arrogant spirit saying, you will please me and you will move out of my space. As I come in, there is someone of importance entering and you will back off. You will give way to me in the kitchen. You will give way to me everywhere I go. You will respect me and my space. We have here a hostile mind to God. We have here a mind that is determined to establish its own glory, its own honor. We have here a mind that says, in my space, I will feel like I want to feel. I will do what I want to do. I will go where I want to go. I will operate the way I choose to operate. This is a sinful mind. It is hostile to God. It, it can do nothing but be hostile toward God. I have a little child that is birthed. That little child begins to grow. And everybody says, how cute this little child is. And finally, this little girl of mine was this tall. And everybody thought she was so darling, so cute, so pretty. But I knew she had a mind hostile to God. I saw the temper tantrums. 
I saw the disobedience. And I had to step into the circle of her space and spank her. I didn't want to. Many times when I spanked her, I spanked her like that on my leg. So she never felt my hand. And she'd say, Daddy, why are you spanking your leg? And I said, because I'm taking your spanking for you. What? I said, that's what Jesus did for us. He died on the cross for us. He took the punishment that was mine on himself. That's how much he loved. He took my punishment. He was my atoning sacrifice. But there were other times when I had to step in and give a spanking. She had a mind that was hostile toward God. She had a mind that did not want to obey the living God of heaven. I knew as a parent that her natural bent was away from God. And I knew that my task as a parent was to change this little girl's heart by stepping in the person of God into her life and crashing her reality so that she would know that God ruled in heaven. The day came when she tearfully and humbly was turned into a new creature in Christ Jesus, where the Spirit of God came into her heart and he began to rule over her heart. Verse 9, You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. So this space that I have defined as my space is invaded by a heavenly being. The Holy Spirit comes and invades this space that I've defined as my space. He comes into the very center of me. He doesn't just come nose to nose. He comes into my heart. He comes into my very being. He begins to dwell in me and he changes me. He makes me into a new creature. He fills my heart with submission, with wonderful peace, with joy, with life. He brings with him, when he comes, the righteousness of Jesus, the holiness of God. And I am made holy as he comes in. If Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. This is the key to physical healing. This is the key to physical healing. 
This is the key to have my mortal body, this flesh body, quickened and made alive by having the Spirit of God enter into my space and begin to dwell in me. And when he comes in, he comes and rules over my heart. I no longer go where I want to go. I go where he sends me. I no longer do what I used to do because now I am submission to the Holy Spirit. Last night, 12.05, there were still some things I wanted to research for this message. Suddenly, the Holy Spirit spoke. He said, go to bed. That's all he said. Go to bed. Okay, Lord, I'll go to bed. But first, let me do this. He spoke again. Go to bed now. Now, wait a minute. I'm over 60 years of age. I have a right to go to bed when I want to go to bed. I've earned the right to be a mature adult who can make choices about when I go to bed. And I'll decide when I'm going to get up. No, the Holy Spirit says, go to bed now. I dropped what I was doing. I went and put my pajamas on. Bed. I lay my head on the pillow. He said, now rest. Rest. My space was gone. I don't even have privacy when I climb under the covers of my bed. The Holy Spirit breaks right through there and even tells me what to do. Now, just like he'll do that, he'll also say, get up at 3.30 in the morning. I want to talk to you. I, I discovered something very interesting. After the tabernacle was set up and the children of Israel's camp was all programmed, everybody knew where their tent was and where their place was. The scriptures say that when the cloud would rise, it meant to pack the camp. Well, what was curious to me is that when the cloud was rising, they were to blow a trumpet a trumpet blast to say, we're moving. And I said, why would anybody need a trumpet blast to say we're moving when they can see the cloud rising? Well, if you go back and look in the scriptures, it says, day or night, clouds sometimes would raise up in the night. And they had to scramble out of bed and tear their tent down in the dark, and pack up in the dark, with only the light of God shining on them. Now, I don't know about you, but if you wake me up in a campsite in the middle of the night and say, get up, pack your tent, roll your sleeping bag up, pack your food up, you're out of here, I'm going to say, I'll see you in the morning. God intends to invade our space. And it's only an arrogant, rebellious heart that refuses him access. 
and a heart that refuses him access is hostile toward God. And that's not changed by negotiation. Saul tried to negotiate and say, okay, I'll kill these wicked people, but I'm going to keep these animals. And I'm going to keep King Agag alive. He's my trophy. Maybe I'll cut his thumbs off and his toes off. Maybe I'll keep him as a dog scrambling under my table for food scraps. That would honor me. That was the custom of the day. His mind was hostile toward God. I want to ask you today, is your mind hostile toward God? Are you able to do what the Holy Spirit asks you to do? Or is it impossible for you to do because your, your spirit rises up and you say, this is my space, get out, God. If we want our mortal bodies quickened with healing power, We must allow the Holy Spirit full entrance into our being. And the worship of our heart will then not be empty human worship. It will not be a matter of outward rituals. The worship we offer God will be obedience in the smallest of things. We will do what we're asked to do. We will not have a mind that is hostile toward God and defensive toward our brothers and sisters. With the mind of God, I will walk into the kitchen and begin to do what we've agreed my duties are, and I will be saying to Jan, how can I help you do what you're doing? And she will be saying to me, Ray, how can I help you do what you're doing? And there will be a joint fellowship because our space will co-mingle without conflict, because our space is both filled with the Holy Spirit. And so I would be able to come into this house and say, Dear brother, are you sick? Are you infirm? If not, please stand and worship the Lord and have no hostility, because your spirit is with the Holy Spirit, and mine is with the Holy Spirit, and they co-mingle, and there's peace between them. Every time your peace is broken, you have reasserted your space, and you have cast out the Spirit of the living God. Therefore, verse 12, brothers, sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. A person who has given their life to Jesus Christ has the option of re-exerting that personal space. I've seen this happen in the body of Christ so many times. One minute we are worshiping the Lord, we are humble of heart, we're understanding. But someone says something to us that displeases us, and instantly it's like, whoop. 
my space just exerted itself and bumps you out of the way and cuts you off. Now later, I'm going to say, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. Now the question is, do you really want to build an altar to yourself and honor yourself? Or do you really want to repent? And say, I choose to no longer walk that way. And by the blood of Jesus, I'm asking that my space be removed and that it be filled with the presence of the mighty Spirit of God. Verse 13, for if you live according to the sinful nature, that is, if you are a Christian who then chooses to live by the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. The misdeeds of the body are the exerting of this space and claiming it as my own. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, the familiar term meaning Daddy. We cry in our hearts to the Lord God of heaven, Daddy. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we might also share in his glory. The reason we have our space up is to make sure we don't suffer. Because we believe that if we can shove people out of our space, they can't hurt us. If I can shove you out of my way, you can't touch me. You can't hurt me. So our defenses rise up. And our excuses rise up. Our reasons and our issues come pouring forth. It's all defense. Please don't hurt me because, bottom line, we're all afraid. I kind of laughed at Saul, but you know what? Saul really was afraid because he didn't have the spirit of the living God in him. The scriptures tell us this sad story. 1 Samuel 18, verse 8. Saul was very angry. This refrain galled him. They credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. And the next day, an evil spirit from God came forcibly upon Saul. He was prophesying in his house. While David was playing the harp as he usually did, Saul had a spear in his hand and he hurled it at him, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall, but David eluded him twice. So this spirit of having my own space finally results in my saying, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you for invading my space. I'm so angry with you, I could kill you. I'm not going to talk to you. I'm going to cut you off. I'm going to treat you like trash. I'm mad at you. You are in my space. 
That's when an evil spirit comes. Begins to rest on us. That evil spirit moved with such power in Saul's heart that he could no longer reach God. So suddenly the Philistines begin to assemble to fight against him. And this time he can't reach God. He's in a desperate place. He says, if God won't talk to the devil will talk to And he went to a witch. And the witch said, you're going to die. Fell on the floor. This big, strong, hulking man, head and shoulders above everybody, the warrior king of Israel, who had fought many battles successfully, now devoid of the Spirit of God, filled with a demon spirit, and he now sits down at a witch's table and eats the crust from the dark side. I want to be clear with you today. If you insist on having your space, if you refuse to relinquish your space, and you demand that others treat you in a certain manner, and you walk around with the arrogance of heart, the idolatry of spirit, the rebellion against authority. You walk around with this constant attitude, quick to get angry, quick to flash out at a brother or sister. You walk around thinking, I'm going to be treated the way I want to be treated. This money is mine. My time is mine. This house is mine. This car is mine. These kids are mine. My husband is mine. I'll be treated the way I demand to be treated. This finally will result in your feasting on the dark side, eating the bread of destruction. What table are you sitting at today? Are you demanding your space, or is your space taken over by the Spirit of the living God? Did you think you had the right to make independent decisions? Or did you recognize that you can only make choices between the devil and Jesus? Today I invite you. Feast. Feast on the Lord Jesus. And cast off the table. Mighty God, remove my space. Invade my space, Jesus. Come in and dwell in my soul. I will obey and worship only you, Jesus. I thank you that in my heart and in my life, I serve you, Jesus. I thank you for the peace and the joy that's in my soul today. I thank you for the great sense of your presence in this house. I thank you, Jesus. I pray in your holy name.
Sing it together. Create in me a clean heart. Oh God. Oh God. And renew a right spirit within me. And renew a right spirit within me. Create in me a clean heart. Oh God. And renew a right spirit within me. Thank you so much for joining us today. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195, or visit us online at nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. We love you. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy with great joy now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his 
Glory with great joy. 